Gary DePaul with Unlabeled Leadership. Welcome to episode 86. Alex D. Trimble gets comfortable with being uncomfortable. Here's a shout out to listeners in Zimbabwe and in the U.S. in Massachusetts, Auburn, Hitta Westport, Malden, and in Florida, West Palm Beach and Winter Springs. With that, let's get started. Alex Trimble has accomplished a lot. I believe that's because he's highly capable of being comfortable with being uncomfortable. In other words, he's willing to get out of his comfort zone to learn, grow, and become better at what he's trying to accomplish at achieving his why. Here's just a few things he's managed to do. He has his own podcast, The Alex Trimble Show. He's written two books. He frequently posts videos on YouTube and Instagram. He speaks to large groups. He coaches clients. And on top of all that, he's the chief culture officer of the American Conservation Experience, which is a nonprofit that provides service opportunities for young people, young adults, and emerging professionals. On his Instagram account, he has a great quotation from Usain Bolt, the runner from Jamaica, who said, I trained four years to run nine seconds, and people give up when they don't see results in two months. Alex doesn't give up. He keeps striving, moving forward, and models for the rest of us how we should do the same. Part 1. Knowledge, Relationships, and Standing Out Leadership involves something called stewardship. And that is giving of yourself to other people to help them grow, develop, mature mentally and morally. While there are people who do this on a regular basis, giving their time, their energy to helping other people grow and develop, Alex shares a story of the receiving end. Here's Alex to explain. I was probably 23, 24 years old, and I had had the opportunity to create and manage the executive leadership development program for the U.S. Department of the Interior. Now, why they allowed some 23-year-old kid to do it, it's neither here nor there, but I was going to do it if they asked me to do it. As I got moving, developing this program, I gained a number of mentors who who I learned a great deal from. This this one woman was the deputy assistant secretary for the agency, and her and I would do lunches every so often, just opportunity for me to ask her questions. And there was this one conversation that, again, sticks out in my mind. She told me, the person with the most information wins. Mm. It's a really simple concept. I didn't think too much about it until as I continued down my career, everything I've done, I've realized that if I was able to position myself around the right people and position myself in a way that people trusted me and they wanted to share information with me, that was powerful. I had information that could that could help me move policy. I had information that could help me develop relationships with individuals who I may not have otherwise been able to build relations with. So then the question again then arose to me, okay, if the person with the most information wins, how do I position myself to be someone that other people want to pour into? And I kind of developed these two thoughts about relationship. I'm, I'm a very simple person, <laughs> not too complex. People like people who like them. Yeah. People help people who help them. And people like people who give them things. Very simple concept. People really aren't that complicated. I love to ask people, 
If you think about your best friend or your mother, your father, whoever it may be, why do you like them? Why are they your best friend? Why do you love that person? They'll think to themselves and I say, is it because they gave you stuff? And <laughs> immediately everyone says, no, no, what? I'm not that type of person. I'm that selfish. And I say, great. I love your answer. Uh, now, let me tell you why you're wrong. <laughs> the reality is that you love those people because they gave you stuff. They gave you their time. They gave you their attention. They gave you their support. Yeah, they probably gave you some money and some resources at some point, but the reality is they, they gave of themselves. So it's about finding ways to give to other people strategically, intentionally. You can't give everything. I love the book, Give and Take. Um, I think it's Adam Grant. You know, He talks about, you know, you can't be someone who gives everything. Give what you can and also give very strategically, intentionally. And so that, that's kind of how I developed these C4 strategic networking model, which is really just four steps. The first thing is mindset change, understanding that networking and building relationships is not evil. It's not bad. It's not like in the movies where those people are just like snakes and like you can't do good if you don't have the right connections and networks. It just doesn't happen. So you, you have to realize that these things and utilizing strategies is not evil. The second thing is internal clarity. Internal clarity is understanding who am I? Where do I feel most comfortable? Am I someone who likes to go to a happy hour where you're, you're elbow to elbow with everyone? That's not me. I don't like that. So I don't put myself in those situations. I intentionally find situations where I feel comfortable building relationships. So after internal clarity, understanding where you want to go and what you need and where you feel comfortable in this, then it's external clarity, understanding the people you're trying to build a relationship with. What are their goals? What are their interests? What are their expectations? Who are their friends? Who are their enemies? How can you help those people be successful? Asking all those questions. Then once you have that, then you start on the last thing, which is behavior choice. Now, this is what everyone loves to talk about on YouTube and all the different podcasts and everything. Oh, you know, shake someone's hand, look them in the eye, and all, all those behavioral things to try to influence and build relationships with people. You know, I tell people that at the end of the day, it does not matter what you do in the behavioral sense if you don't first understand that utilizing these strategies isn't evil. Because if you think it's evil or bad, then you'll never do it. It doesn't matter what we teach you in, in regards to those behavioral things if you don't have internal clarity. If you don't understand how you feel most comfortable or where you're trying to go in life, then you're going to be meeting random people and it's not going to ever take, take in the direction you want to go. And then finally, it doesn't make sense to have all those behavioral strategies if you don't understand who it is you're trying to build a relationship with, where they're at, what they're interested in, and providing value to those individuals. That's where I find myself. And it all came from a simple, simple thought. The person with the most information wins. One of the things I, I found fascinating with what you were just talking about had to do with what people get out of relationships and about trying to position yourself to be around influencers or the, the right type of people. It reminded me of the field I'm in, which is performance consulting. There are a bunch of people that go to conferences, they give of themselves. And I found that the ones who are the most successful in this particular field they will give you as much time as you need, as much advice. They will introduce you to people. They will give you opportunities. If you just ask and present yourself and say, I want to be part of this community. I want to be a contributor, but I'm just getting started. You never know where that will take you. Absolutely. Again, you, you make me think of a, right before COVID started, I attended this event for chiefs of staff. So it's actually really cool. There's a, an, an entire group of individuals dedicated to chiefs of staffs. And you have some very influential people in this group. And so I went to this event and I was having a conversation with this guy. Yeah, I knew he must have been a chief of staff because he was there, right? I just assumed. And, and another guy. And we had a conversation. Very quickly, I realized that other guy 
let's just call him Tom. Okay. He was there and he just asked us what our roles were, who we knew. And you could see on his face that as soon as he knew that we weren't who we he wanted to network with, he walked gone. He, he, yeah, he just he just left. And then me and another guy just kept talking, right? And so he was really cool. He worked at DOD. And then a few weeks later, or maybe a month or so later, he invited me and my wife to do a tour of DOD, a personal tour. He was going to lead it. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was a really freaking cool tour. <laughs> what he was able to show us and just where the secretary sits, like, it's amazing. You know, it wasn't until, like, we were just about done with the tour that we somehow found out what his position was. I never asked him. He was extremely high up in the food chain. I never knew it. Him and I talked about this afterwards. And he was, he was like, Alex, that's funny because, you know, what? I don't even remember the other guy who was there. There was a feeling that he was all about himself. Me and this guy, this super powerful person, we were just there trying to help one another. Again, so much is built from it. We've stayed in contact. You know, he's introduced me to some great people who've also been on my podcast. But it's all about really helping other people. And it's, it's not that difficult, but, yeah. but, but not as many people do it, you know? <laughs> Yeah, it's stewardship. It's one of the things I have personally have learned from more experienced people is that they are stewards of the field. They want other people to be successful. They have experienced a great accomplishment and they would love for other people to have those same type of experiences and they just want to help however they can. You know, I tell people it's it's all about standing out. Mm. Yeah, I, I make the point that I make it for you and your guests right now. Does it matter what people think about you? A lot of people would say no. It doesn't matter. It's their loss. I'm going to be my authentic self. You know, please imagine me doing like hand movements, acting like really goofy right now. Right. <laughs> and people love to say that. Like, it doesn't matter. I believe in me, like all those good things. But you know what? Did you hire yourself? If you were your, uh, a business owner, would you be successful if you were your only customer? Yeah. When was the last time you promoted yourself in a job? Can, can you promote yourself? No, no. It absolutely matters what people think about you. Stop telling ourselves these fallacies and just be honest. Who matters, right? Like, where do you spend your energy and everything? But I like to tell people, like, you, you got to stand out. You, you can't be selected if you're not remembered. One of the easiest ways to stand out is to be kind, is to, again, like I said earlier, people like people who help them. Yeah. People like people who like them and people like people who give them things. Those are very simple concepts, you know? Exactly. <laughs> Part two, fixing stuff. In my book, Nine Practices of 21st Century Leadership, I talk about the results of leadership. Not necessarily about the definition, but what happens when you successfully lead. And I talk about four different types, societal results, business results, short-term and long-term results, and then immediate results. With immediate results, there are a couple of things that happen. The people you are helping have fulfilled needs rather than fulfilled wants. They have barriers removed or reduced, as well as improved performance. In this story, Alex talks about one of his roles when done right looks very similar to leadership. Here's Alex and his story. The story that I talk about in my book, uh, Reaching Senior Leadership, when I first became a chief of staff, now for anyone who doesn't know what a chief of staff's job is, that's that's everyone actually. No one understands what a chief of staff's job is. Like, <laughs> <laughs> the chief of staff doesn't understand what the chief of staff's job is. The chief of staff's job is just to fix stuff. Everything needs to be running. So you're always connected. You're always 
questioning everything. You have to understand almost everything that's going on within the organization. It's a very complex and very difficult job, very taxing job. And again, I mentioned earlier, there's, there's actually this group that focuses on purely chiefs of staffs. It's almost like a support group, right? Mm, <laughs> it's just like, yeah, yeah. oh my God, I'm so tired. Three months into becoming a chief of staff of you know, this, the probably largest um, and most politically complex park, national park in the, in the country, I was in a meeting and my, my supervisor after the meeting was over, she said, hey, what's wrong, Alex? And I'm like, oh, nothing's wrong. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. And she said, no, no, no. Something's wrong. I told her, I was like, I'm tired. I'm really, really tired. I can't say, I can't remember exactly what she told me, but whatever happened, ultimately it led to a change. In the beginning, I'm this chief of staff role and I have all these other leaders who I was quasi leading, right? They don't necessarily report to me, but I'm the chief. And I report directly to the soup. So when I say something, and I have to manage all those things in all those different groups. And I was trying to solve everyone's problem. Mm. And that's when I realized that is not my job as the leader. <laughs> yes. <laughs> my job is to facilitate the answers, help provide a space where they can find the answers for themselves and then remove barriers. When we talk about that leadership moment, like it was a great awakening for me. Again, like I, it's, you know, so freeing because as you move up in leadership, I think there's a tendency to think that you do have to have all the answers. And the reality is, again, I, in addition to my speaking and, and my, my podcast and all the stuff I do now, I'm also the, the chief culture officer for the premier organization, the, the second largest national conservation corps in the country. It would be almost second nature for me to say, okay, how do I solve everyone's problem? But that's not my job. As an executive, my job is to help facilitate the conversation provide the space, provide the structure and remove barriers. And I think that's one key thing about leadership that experience really reminded me of, right? Really, really reminded me. It's enabling other people to be at their best and setting up that environment so that they can be. You said the magic words, which is remove barriers and give support. You know, it's funny though, is that you're exactly right. When you can remove barriers for individuals and then support them on their, their endeavors, one, it also helps, you know, kind of CYA, right? Because if you're make if you're the one who's making the decision on everything, it's very easy for people to say, well, actually you made that decision. That was your fault. You know? Yeah. It's not an us thing. It's not a Tim thing. It was not a team thing. It was, oh, Alex did that. And so when you facilitate, it is the group moving in a way together and hopefully then people feeling heard. So even if whatever they're suggesting or recommending isn't accepted, ultimately, they still feel like they had an opportunity. So again, the facilitation is really important. And then we talk about, again, the removing barriers aspect. I still talk to my um, my team to, to today. And that was the thing that they loved so much about my leadership skills and my leadership approach was that I wasn't barking orders at them. I would listen to them. I would understand what their actual challenges were and say, okay, how can I fix this? Or how can I put something off their plate? The chief of staff role is a very difficult role because you are the, the, com the confidant of the principal, whoever is in charge, the CEO, the executive, you report to that person. You have to have a very close relationship with that person. At the same time, those other directors who are also very senior, they don't report to you, but you need them to listen to you. You need them to do things when you say it and you don't want to lead from a command and control method because if you do, you're doomed. they're really going to... Exactly. You're doomed. Exactly. <laughs> Not a good way to do this. <laughs> exactly. The quality of the answers and the responses and the solutions is so much greater when it's not from that one person who feels obligated to be the answer person. Mm -hmm. 
Preach, preacher. (laughs) (laughs) What I encourage everyone out there listening, all your listeners to do as they go through their leadership transition is becoming comfortable with being uncomfortable. You have to be comfortable with being uncomfortable, understanding that you don't have to have all the answers and that's not your job. Your job is not to know all the answers. Again, especially as you move into more senior level roles, you have experts. We're paying those people to be experts. If anything, your job is to ask really great questions, right? Yeah. Um, (laughs) For me, I'll, I'll say really quickly, one of my approaches to asking great questions is to have experiences. The more experiences you have, the broader pool of information you can draw from when asking questions of someone. You think it's weird, but I mean, honestly, I've built relationships. Um, there's this guy at um, this, this bookstore back in the day. I, he was on a, he was on a bike or he had, he had one of those ergonomic backpacks. I knew they're from biking. So it's just a customer in front of me. I'm like, hey, that's, that's an interesting backpack you got. And he told me what the reason was for it. I'm like, oh, that's cool. And then he told, told me about the shoes that bikers use, right? How they click their shoes in. And he told me that how, you know, like when bikers first get those shoes, the number one thing they do is fall because when they get off the bike, they're, they forget to unlatch themselves. And so they always fall down. Down they go. Yeah. It sounds like a random bit of information, but I can tell you, I was working with an executive one time where I saw him in the gym, putting his bike, his bike clothes on. That's what I did. I said, Hey, oh, you, you know, it's funny. You know, when you first get those shoes and you forget to unlash it and then you fall, he was like, Oh yeah, exactly. It's crazy. And that relation didn't help me help me with another problem later on down the line. Again, I couldn't bring that to the table if I didn't have random experiences. It's having a learning mindset, learning personality, just always trying to learn something new, you know? With leadership, it's like two sides of a coin. On one side, you have leadership. On the other side, you have learning. And you cannot separate the two. You cannot lead without learning. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. One last story. Again, I was blessed in the very early in my career. I was in a leadership position and, you know, running these programs and I actually developed a pretty big name for myself across the government. Because after I, I managed and created and managed the executive leadership development program for the Department of the Interior, I was asked to run three different government wide executive leadership development programs, two in uh, DC, one in Denver. I was hot stuff. Like, <laughs> I mean, people, people knew me. Okay. I still remember like for like a three or four year period, I stopped learning. I was like, I know this stuff. I don't need to attend any more trainings. I know the leadership. I don't need to do this. I don't need to do that. I'm good. Now, the reality is, is that you may be good. You're absolutely right. You may be good. Like I, I was doing my job very well without learning anything new. But it wasn't until I learned something. Actually, I think went to some conference or took a class and I was like, wow, I wish I had known that. And then I went to another class and I read another book. And I just and then my, my, my world just opened up again. I was like, there's so much stuff out there. And now that when, I, when I'm, I'm bringing this new information to the table, when I talk about expertise, being an expert is, doesn't mean that I know my topic 100% well. I think, yes, it's great to know your topic. If you know leadership, if you know accounting, you know that one thing, great. That is good for you. And you actually are pro- literally probably an expert. Listen, impressive is when you can take your topic and see how it correlates to other topics. So leadership as is tied to energy or as is tied to biking, as is tied to accounting, taking what you do and being able to see how it inter- how it's interconnected, interrelated with other topics. That is what I tr- call true expertise, because the more connections you can build with other topics, 
It allows you to explain your topic to other people in so many different ways, right? If someone doesn't understand it one way, you can find another way. And so I, I love that. And then also, it isn't, again, it brings new ideas and brings new air and breath to what you're talking about in the industry. Because again, I'll tell you, most people aren't trying to connect their ideas, their thought, their expertise to another industry. They generally just stay in their in industry. Well, if you can take what you know and tie it to other industries and see how it interconnected, you do what I talked about in the first segment, which is stand out. Yes. You're bringing ideas to the table that no one else is thinking about. <laughs> For those of us in corporate America who hire employees, we need to find those people who do things other than have expertise in whatever it is they do. Find the ones who podcast, find the ones who have strong volunteer interest in whatever. But you're right. There's a, a self-limitation when we look for just such specialization without connectivity to other fields that it just hurts. It, it hurts the quality. I wish I had the book on me right now, but there is a phenomenal book that makes that exact point and basically says that what we're doing nowadays is we're specializing, like we're super specializing. But the, the problem is, is actually the book is called Range um, by David Ep Epstein. And it's a really, really great book. And but he, what he's saying is the problem is that because everyone's becoming a super freaking, right, <laughs> a super expert in their particular area, there's misses. Yeah. We have one division is only focused on this and other divisions only focused on this and no one talks and no one understands the other aspect of it. So then you have the, the 2008 housing crisis. Our problems, I tell people right now, like, this is the reason why I, I teach so much on networking. Okay? That, that kind of what I expert in, um, I, my expertise in networking and political savvy, you know, the whole influence stuff is not just because I enjoy doing it and I'm good at it. But the reality is that our world is interconnected. Our world is interconnected, which means that our problems are becoming bigger and bigger and more and more complex. And as I, I interviewed former adjutant general for the state of Maryland, her and I had a conversation. She said, look, networking is one of the number one skills leaders need to have to overcome the challenges that are going to be coming in the future. Because COVID, it was not the last big thing we're dealing with, right? Yes. Overcome those challenges. We will need leaders who can build relationships at a drop time, real relationships, trusting relationships where people can make a decision and say, look, I don't know that person exactly. I don't know exactly what they're doing but I trust them. I trust their character. I trust that they're not going to be looking out for themselves and we're going to work together to get this done. And again, this is why I'm always preaching, learning those networking skills. And that's why I talk about it so much in my podcast and in my, in my book, Reaching Senior Leadership and in my online courses. Like it's really important to do this stuff as a leader. Part three, three words of advice. If you're a struggling entrepreneur, or you're not happy with how you're progressing with your career, then you should listen to Alex's advice. Alex offers some advice that really can make a difference. The advice he has is difficult to overstate, and there's a lot of depth to what he has to say. Again, here's Alex. If I were to give one bit of advice, it's probably the bit of advice I give in all of my sessions. It sounds really weird. It's only there literally three words, okay? Have your pencil out, take your paper out, and let's get ready for this, right? It can be really complex and be very deep, okay? Just get ready for this. Hit me. Take action now. Take action now. Do something today that makes you uncomfortable. I love talking about fear, you know, how fear is 
people see fear as a bad thing, but a fear is not a bad thing. It's, it's, it's a great thing. If we didn't have fear, we'd all be jumping off of our houses right now, right? And doing double backflips off of buildings. Fear is extremely important to us as a race. What we have to do is find ways to regulate that fear and tell that fear when, okay, I got it, but I know what I'm doing this time. The way to take to regulate fear is the same way as fire. Oxygen breeds more fire. You put more oxygen in fire, fire gets bigger. You remove the oxygen, the fire gets smaller. It's very simple. The same thing for fear. For oxygen, we use time. The more time you give a fear, the bigger the fear becomes. And the more difficult it is to take a step. If you remove time from the equation, the fear goes away because now you've actually experienced it. And generally speaking, your fear in your mind is always going to be worse than what actually happens. So what I'm recommending for everyone who wants to be a leader and who is a leader, find something that makes you uncomfortable and then try it. Just do it. If it's a new project, Raise your hand. It's again, networking is part of the thing that you're afraid of. Send someone an email today, not tomorrow, not next week, today. Literally stop listening to this. Push pause for a second. Send someone an email that you've never had a relationship with, that you want to build a relationship with. Do that now. Again, take action now is what I encourage my listeners and my and, and my my clients to do. And as you and I were talking before the, the, uh, the tape started rolling today, both of us had initially had some ideas in our minds in regards, in regards to our podcast. They stayed in our minds until someone encouraged us to take yep. action. Now look where we are, right? <laughs> That's right. Absolutely. Try to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. Those moments of being uncomfortable opens the opportunity to learn and to grow. Anything you do that is not uncomfortable for you means you've done it before. You've probably done it many times and it's easy to you. But does that mean that you've grown? If you're doing the same, if you think about in the gym, right? If you're doing the same exact weight, you can rep that weight 200 times. Are you growing bigger muscles? No, you're just doing because it's, it's easy. It's just normal. So what I encourage you, all your listeners, to look for those places in their life and in their career where they haven't felt uncomfortable, where you haven't felt fear. When's the last time you felt uncomfortable? When's the last time you felt fear about trying something new? If it hasn't been sometime soon, let's say last week or month or so, you need to do something. If I don't feel uncomfortable trying something, that means I'm not learning and I need to do something now. <laughs> I need to take action now. <laughs> you're doing it wrong if you're not feeling uncomfortable. Yes. <laughs> Thanks to Alex Trimble. If you'd like to learn more about Alex, go to the show notes. And if you have a question or comment, go to unlabelleadership.com. Click the message icon and you can leave a voicemail message up to one minute. I'd like to thank those who contribute to the show. Your contributions makes a difference because this is a volunteer service. Mostly, though, I'd like to thank you for listening. Until next time, lead on.